0: Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to a very special episode of the Full Stack Journey podcast. We are live in uh, Dallas, Texas at the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, VMUG UserCon here at the end of September. And uh, they're doing a Full Stack Journey theme here at the event today. So they invited us to come in and record an episode of the podcast. And we've got some folks gathered around who are going to be listening in. While I speak with today's special guest about the journey to being a full-stack engineer, as you know, over the last few episodes, we have been talking about specific technology areas that, while individually are not, you know, kind of the the view of being a full-stack engineer together, they make up uh, individual steps along the way uh, as part of your journey. And so today, here to talk about automation, we have Jake Robinson. Hi, Jake.
1: Hello, Scott. How are you?
0: Good. Can you hear me okay? um, Jake, uh, why don't you take just a minute? I, I know you, obviously, very well. We've known each other for a few years. But why don't you take a minute and sort of introduce yourself both to folks who are gathered here as well as to the folks who are listening to the podcast?
1: Certainly. So I'm currently um, a dev manager for something called Project Zombie okay. uh, inside vCloud Air. And uh, we built a uh, very, very cool orchestration framework. Um that has stood up all the customers within vCloud Air. So the entire VMware stacks uh, for hundreds of customers uh, have all been upgraded and and more recently, I'm sorry, uh, installed and more recently upgraded from vSphere 5.5 to 6.0. So very complex sort of orchestration to handle that sort of stuff. Um, So prior to me coming on uh, board to VMware, I was at a company called BlueLock, uh, I'd been with them for five years back when cloud was um, not a thing. It was infrastructure as a service, and that was the only thing that it was called. And uh, that's really what uh, um, got me into automation was was during that time where we needed to to do more things consistently um, and at scale, right?
0: Oh. Okay, great, Jake. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that introduction. Um, so. Uh, Automation. I mentioned automation is kind of where I'd really like to, to spend some time today because, in, in my view of what it means to embrace the journey towards being a post stack engineer, automation in my mind is sort of central to that. And I'm wondering, you know, do you agree or disagree? I, I think you'll probably agree, but I'll let you answer that for sure. And if so, kind of, can you tell me a little bit about why you feel it's so important for automation to be? Central to, to all that we do as we journey towards this this you know continual growth and continual learning path.
1: Yeah, when it comes to uh, automation and and really uh, the the cross functional you know full stack engineer, uh, you know when you when you think about having to automate different products and different technologies, I mean. Having that sort of seamless automation between all those things is is really important. And um, yeah, yeah. The I mean, so I want to. I want to. I'm trying to caution myself here because um, you know when it, when it comes to scaling, um, learning these different things and being able to automate and know the APIs for all these different things is is a is a hard thing to do, right? Sure. So. Um, at, at some point, sort of scale breaks down, but uh, and being able to automate something like storage, network, virtualization, all, all that stuff in, in one package is is a pretty powerful thing.
0: But, I mean, let's, so, so uh, you know, the topic of scale and how we address learning all the things that we are talking about learning as a full stack engineer, you know, I, we talked about that a little bit in the keynote and how it's 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 not really possible to to be the ultimate person who knows everything about everything, right? But I think even if we we even take a step back farther than that, like even before we look at the scale of what we need to learn, it seems to me that like if we look back in the days of IT, let's like, you know, let's say today for a vSphere admin, there are certain things that are just table stakes. Like these are things that you have to know how to do, right? And the same could be said for a network engineer or a storage admin or a developer, Right. Um, and, and it seems to me that as we as we move on this journey towards towards moving across multiple silos and moving among multiple stacks, that the thing that is table stakes is automation.
1: Yeah. So every, you you think about the software defined data center, and it's a real thing. That is a real thing, right? So um, you look uh, th- there's. Um, There's this archetype coming up that's, that's really like the data center developer, right? And, and more and more things are programmatically, uh, configured and, uh, upgraded and, you know, all this, all this stuff is going to software. You look, you look at, uh, different cloud companies and some of them, you know, their, their UIs are really terrible, but their APIs are really good. And now we have all these tools that we can, you know, manipulate the infrastructure all, all through software.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the more and more that we we abstract away certain concepts, the more and more that we embrace virtualization. The more that we embrace um, concepts that enable us to do, do things programmatically, right? The more that automation becomes crucial, um, and the more that we look at both on-premises stuff like our own data center, you know, the sort of the VMware STDC stack or mm. or anybody's, you mm. know, uh, stack, right? as well as this, this off-premises, public cloud uh, sort of thing, it, it, it just seems like learning the core concepts behind automation, even if we don't tie that initially to a particular programming language or a particular scripting language or a particular automation tool, if we learn the core concepts behind automation and embrace the idea of automation first, it seems like that is going to be just kind of a necessary building block to be able to do everything that comes later.
1: Yeah, so automation is sort of this, uh, like, like you said, table stakes, right? So, uh, the, the business needs are we, we need to stay ahead of the competition for, for whatever reason. And in order to do that, we need to roll out software updates faster and to, to, to have that edge, right? And, uh, you know, when we talk about agile infrastructure and agile software, you know, if 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 you can't do it consistently and you can't do it uh, automatically, then you're you're gonna fail.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I totally agree. So that's that's why I'm personally like super jazzed to have you on because of your background in automation and the work you did with uh, the Zombie Project, which is just awesome. A lot of people don't know about that. And I won't steal your thunder. I'll let you you know talk about that at some point if we get time during this show, or maybe have you back in the future to talk more about that. But one of the one of the things that I, that I'm real particular about with the podcast is saying, okay, can somebody listen to this podcast and walk away with an action item, like something they can actually go do? Like it's one thing for us to say, you should go learn automation. Yeah, well, duh, right? Okay, how do I actually do that? What is yeah. some practical advice? So, based on kind of your journey from where you were to where you are, the projects you worked on, what you're doing now, is there something you can think of, like? If you had to give advice to somebody, one of these folks that may be sitting out here listening to us now, or somebody who's listening to the podcast um, uh, after it's been published, what would you tell them? Like, how do? What, what's a practical step to getting started?
1: So, I would say the first step to getting started, uh, whether it's learning a language or an automation framework or something along those lines, is to have a problem. And um, if th- the way I learn, and you know, this goes back to your talk a couple of years ago about about uh, metacognition, right? That's right, ha- right. That's haunted me for a long time. <laughs> um, but uh, the first step is to have the problem, and, and the way I learn is okay. I I see this. I see this goal that I want to get to, and I uh, sort of work uh, li- linear- linearly in in to fix that that problem. Right. To get to that goal. Um, and then as, uh, as I learn more about that automation framework, my, my knowledge about it will get deeper and wider. But, uh, the first, the first step for me all the time has been have a problem that, that needs to be solved. If, um, it took me, it took me a couple years to really get comfortable with like the Ruby programming language. Because I was just trying to learn the language. I wasn't trying to solve a problem with it. I was just trying to learn the language. And it wasn't until, uh, it, you know, that I started working on Project Zombie that I'm like, okay, I need to solve this problem. And now I'm going to learn Ruby, you know, in a, sort of in a straight line to fix this problem rather than just sort of learn the language because I want to learn the language. Same goes for any automation framework. You know, Power CLI. man, I, I would... I still to this day say that Power CLI is the best user interface to to vSphere. Like it is, it is so well done. Um, the guys out in uh, the team out in Bulgaria have done a, done an amazing job with it. Um, and you can get started very easy um, by by just running reports. Like, it'd be really interesting to just get a list of virtual machines in my environment, and that's like a, a single command that you can run. Whoa. Cut that out. <laughs> Hello? They're, they're working
0: on the audio, so that's fine. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll edit that part out. That's fine. <laughs> so, so it sounds like, and, and I, would, I would tend to agree based on my own experience, that without a problem, you're kind of just wandering around, right? Like I, I had this ill-fated attempt a couple years ago that I was going to learn Pearl, which despite advice from numerous others, I decided to try and do anyway, and it failed horribly right and and we won't blame that on Pearl, although some might but the, the problem was I didn't have anything to do with it it was like okay yeah so I'm learning how to manipulate text I don't really have a problem here I don't really have something I'm trying to solve and without that there was no sort of guiding presence and so your advice kind of echoes what I've heard from other guests on the podcast and that is when you're setting out to learn a new technology um, start by solving the problems that you have right um, now with that in mind one of the other feedback uh, items that I've heard in talking about learning styles and all of that is that in in a lot of cases, um, not only do you need to have a problem that you're trying to solve, but you also need to be able to break it down in such a way that you can, without again, without getting into the specifics of the language because that will vary, but you need to be able to uh, the term I've heard. Think programmatically. Like you need to be able to think to, okay, step one is to do this. Step two is to do that. Step three is to do this. Step four is to do that, right? And uh, I remember a conversation I was having, I believe it was with uh, Matt Oswalt in episode two, and he was just, uh, or it may have been with Yvonne in episode eight. Hard to remember. Anyway, it was about networking, and he was, and, and my guest, I think it must have been Yvonne, was talking about how a lot of network engineers uh, just don't have the ability to think like programmatically. Like how do I think of an, an algorithm, if you will? Yeah. Not Again, not in language specifics, but an algorithm to, to go from point A to point B. Like they know how to do it, but they don't know how to break it down into the steps to explain it to the world's absolute idiot. And until you can break it down to those steps, you can't really write a program or script to automate it now. So what do you think about that, and do you think that's the case? And it, if so, um, are there you know, things that somebody can do to help cultivate that skill before we get into the specifics of learning a language?
1: Um, so, so I think you can certainly do it at the at the same time. There, uh, so Codecademy. I don't know if that's been mentioned on the podcast at all, but that's a great way to sort of um, play with different programming languages interactively. You don't need to download or set up anything, you know, confusing libraries or anything like that. Um, that'll that'll teach you to. They'll they'll give you a problem to work on. Um, it's a very uh, you know small logic problem. Um, and they'll they'll sort of guide you guide you through it. So there, um, I've heard a little bit of of fear from uh, you know sort of the people that have been in the industry for a while um, that you know all the software stuff is uh, they don't trust it. It's a little scary. Uh, you know, the programming's more of a you know young young guys game, young girls game, and um, I, it. it the, the tools are out there to do it. So, And uh, I've been working with my kids on this too. So uh, Scratch is a, is a fun example of the, where you can visually take these sort of blocks and create this sort of uh, complex logic to move things around the screen and sort of get that, um, uh, that software thinking sort of mentality, the programmatic stuff that you were talking about. Uh, they even have board games now. So there's a board game called Robot Turtles. That goes through, you know, looping and you know if then else sort of statements. Um, so the tools are out there. It's it's okay to so so one of the problems that I've had um, throughout my career is just admitting um, to others. Right? It's easy to admit to myself that I don't know something, but to admit to others and ask the dumb question, like just ask the dumb question, right? You're you, like somebody's Somebody's going to answer it for you. You just have to be brave enough to ask the question.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there's a, there's a, we, we could have a whole episode probably about things like imposter syndrome and, uh, you know, fear of, of admitting that we don't know everything or we don't know something. I mean, I think that's a real thing for IT pros that, you know, they, they feel like they're pressured to kind of, you must have the answer because you're the IT gal. Or you're the IT guy and a lot of times we're like, yeah, I don't really know what that is, you know, so I'm going to go find out for you, right? Um, but that's a different topic for a different episode. So <laughs> maybe I'll get you and, and Matt and a few others back on to talk about, uh, imposter syndrome. Um, but, uh, so one of the things that I hear, you know, I've been continually recommending automation, even though in this particular case, I'm not necessarily preaching what I practice, but, um, and, and the feedback that I often get is, um, it's too much. Like, they feel overwhelmed at the beginning because maybe they take on the wrong project. Maybe they take on too big of a project. Maybe they just feel the learning curve is too steep. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what are your thoughts around, you know, I, you mentioned power CLI, for example, it's like just printing reports, right? So are there any other examples kind of along those lines of simple things that folks could begin to automate that have... A relatively shallow you know entry curve, uh, but yet still offer some value that they can then begin to build on to add confidence and, and that sort of thing. I mean, aside from running reports, and I think that and that's very, very valuable, don't get me wrong. I'm just wondering if there's any other you know, others that, that come to mind initially based on your own experience.
1: Hmm. I keep coming back for some reason to if this then that. Mm-hmm. So if if TTtcom maybe. Um it's a it's a simple way to improve your life um, you know through various sort of things that you're used to doing and just sort of automating those things away so you don't have to do them so, so something like that might be really easy to get into it's not necessarily uh, doesn't necessarily have to be data center focused but it could be you know improving the quality of life right okay um, right. trying to Trying to think of other examples. Re- really easy examples to get into. Yeah, I you know, Power C L I, so you, you might start off with very simple virtual machine reports and then you might want to say, Okay, I want uh, I want the report formatted in a certain way. So you're sort of adding on code and okay, now I want it. Uh, sent to me daily, okay, now I, you know, eventually you'll end up at something called V-Check, which is by Alan Renew, right? <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, and, and certainly you can dig in other people's code too. Right. So.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think. Uh, you know, taking out of that one one sort of tip or trick that I think might be useful for the listeners is um, maybe a lesson that a lot of startups need to take, and that is the idea of minimum viable product, Right. Like when you when you set out to do some automation project, it doesn't have to be the world's most yes. elegant code yes. right out of the gate, right? Like it's okay to use an ugly hack to get started, and then learn over time the subtleties of the language, the subtleties of the tools that you're using, improve it, modularize it, that kind of stuff. I mean, would would you agree? You think that's fair?
1: You know, it's a trade off between incurring technical debt, okay, um, you know, with hacks and you know doing minimum viable products. So you know, when I think. You know, when I think minimum viable products, I, I still want the product good. I just don't want a whole lot of stuff in it, right? Um, it, it, you know, when you when you start, certainly when you start doing hacks and stuff like that. Um, I, what's the saying go? You know, uh, bad software lives forever. You know, sort of thing. <laughs> like, okay, you're not you in reality it's very hard for a developer to get the priority to go back and fix that stuff because it's working okay
0: <laughs> well i mean so so that that's i guess that's fair you're you're coming at this from a perspective of somebody who's whose job primarily is development in the automation space and 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 that so that's fair i totally get it about technical debt and and getting time to go back and fix it afterwards and that sort of thing i mean i've run into the my that similar sort of thing just in my own little stuff, you know, little vagrant environments that I turn up on GitHub and I go back and look at it a year later I'm like, oh, this is just all wrong. I've got to go fix this. And, you know, if I were really busy and that's why it's been a year since I really went and fixed it, right, you know, I might never actually come back to get to it. But I guess from my, my point being that if if we look at this from a perspective of that every every time we automate something, we're learning. Yes. Right? And so we shouldn't, I guess we should we should have a reasonable expectation for ourselves that if you're just getting started down the the automation journey, whether it's writing Python scripts or power CLI scripts or you know Golang binaries, whatever the case may be, um, it's okay to expect that your early projects aren't gonna be beautiful, elegant, modular, you know, doing things the way that the language would normally, you know. Uh, in Python, they have that term, you know, Pythonic, right? The, doing it the Python way, whatever the case may be. Every language has their own little quirks, I guess. But instead, to accept that, you know, it's okay to, to have a, a less than perfect product, at least in the beginning, because it's yeah. a learning
1: process. Yeah. yeah. So um, so back, back to what you were saying about minimum viable product and back to what I was saying about, like, setting that goal. Yeah. Like, if you set a really hard goal for yourself... It, like, I never finish that sort of stuff. Like, I'm like, I, I want to do this amazing thing, and then I sort of get part of the way through it, and, you know, there's there's nothing there. So when I think minimum viable product, I, I take this one big problem, and I split it into as many smaller minimum viable product problems that that I can, right? So, you know, let's... Let's say you wanted to automate something, and the first part of that automation was you actually need to go out and query some information. So that that query might be a minimum viable product. So there's a deliverable at the end. It's something I can use later on, but uh, it's uh, you know it's a very very simple thing. It's still useful, but you know not not that not that big goal that we're trying to solve. It's a piece of it.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's that's really good advice, but it kind of makes me think. Again, back to the idea of thinking programmatically, like, I wonder beyond using tools like, if this, then that, you know, creating triggers and then creating actions, which helps you to sort of think about what would trigger something to happen or or looking at some of these other things. I'm wondering if, you know, does it make sense for, for beginning automation, you know, efforts to do some sort of like a, you know, a block diagram, uh, like, you know, to, to say, just to, to help kind of reinforce in your mind that thinking process of, okay, here are the steps. Now I see that step two and step four, maybe they could be broken down into smaller steps. And then when I do that, I see that this smaller step here is actually the same as this smaller step over here. So I know that I can write that once and save myself some time, you know, kind of just to help enforce those, that thinking of modular code, code reuse, because that's probably something that a lot of the folks out here are not accustomed to doing. And and not accustomed to thinking that way. I mean, what are your
1: thoughts there? Yeah. So don't don't repeat yourself. Dry, right? Um, don't repeat yourself as a big thing in, in programming and in the beginning and even now in sort of the world of microservices and stuff like that. You're going to see um, sort of copy paste code and stuff like that. You know, er, early on it's okay. Um, a, as you get um, more efficient with you know writing code, you're you're gonna you're gonna see that. I don't. You know, you're you're not going to have that day one. You're going to write, you know, the same four lines of code, that same for loop over and over again, and um, you know, it's, it's just going to happen. <laughs>
0: yeah, no. So I, I, I certainly agree because I think that if we if we recommend to folks, hey, you know, take the dry principles and all that kind of stuff and apply it to your code day one, that's like that's like setting that really hard goal, and and after a yeah. little while they're going to be, oh, forget this. This is too hard, and that's obviously not what we want. So. Uh, I just want to repeat back and kind of distill uh, out for for the listeners, you know. So it's okay for for your beginning code to not be pretty. It's okay for you to repeat yourself in your beginning code. Oh, yeah. But you do want to start to cultivate habits that help you to to, uh, think programmatically, to think um, in a way of what are the the, the steps, like the the atomic units that I can break this task down into. Yeah. And and, and then from there you can begin to see – where does it make sense for me to reuse code? Is, is code reuse even a thing for what I'm building? Like, you know, maybe the language doesn't really lend itself. I can do a ton of Vagrant. Vagrant doesn't really have that concept unless I want to write a plugin I'm not there yet. But, you know, so my Vagrant files all end up looking a lot alike because there you go, up. right? Um, but, you know, if you're in Python or if you're in another language, then you could write a module, you could extract that code out, you could use a function, whatever, to, to just write that once and be able to reuse it multiple times. Um, but we shouldn't we shouldn't be expecting that out of ourselves early on in the process.
1: No, and there's um, learning learning the language for me was was actually the easy part. Like uh, you know, w- once you learn sort of one uh, one type of language, you can sort of read and, and hack up other any, anything in any other you know programming language for the most part. Um, the harder part for me was sort of all the tooling surrounding the language itself. So in Python, you know, packaging and all these external, third these third-party libraries that somebody else has written and knowing knowing where to find those and how to pull those into your own project, you know, talk, talking about code re, uh, reuse and stuff like that, that's, that was the harder part for me is just sort of getting into the, understanding that ecosystem and how, how all that works. The so language, that's... That's fairly easy, but all, all the tooling around it was was hard.
0: That's interesting because it, it, it counterintuitively seems like learning the language would be the difficult part. And so one of the things I've talked about with, with other guests is, you know, are there are there things that maybe you have done to help get over syntax issues, like to familiarize yourself with the syntax? Were there quick reference guides that you found helpful, or was it just a matter of doing it and learning it practice
1: practice practice, practice. practice. Yeah. Okay. yeah you just have you you have there's no that's the other thing that I, I harp on a lot is there's no sort of easy road like when you learn something like it's going to be painful you're going to be tired you're going to you know like any anybody who spends significant time with a, a language eventually hates it you know it it just happens Right. and um you just have to you have to do the work you have to you're gonna have bad times. You're gonna have bad days. You're gonna have great days. You're... So you just have to push through it.
0: Okay. So one of my one of my favorite phrases that I use all the time: slow and steady plotting.
1: Slow and steady what?
0: Slow and steady plotting. Like just oh, yeah. one foot in front of the other. Do it every day. Yep. Just keep keep plugging away at it, and eventually you'll look back and you're like, wow, I wrote this you know thousand line script, and it does X or whatever the case may be. Right. Okay, cool. So. Um, uh, switching gears just a little bit, and I want to keep an eye on the time because we only have a few minutes left, but um, are there any sort of resources that you might recommend to folks who are here listening or are listening to the podcast uh, recording? They're saying, okay, we get it. We agree. Automation is, you know, it's table stakes. I need to learn it. Uh, I need to have a problem, and, you know, it doesn't matter what that problem is. I just need to have something, you know, that I can focus on and solve, and ideally it should be something that will make my life easier, right, in my day-to-day job. Um, Are there tools or resources perhaps that you have found helpful? You mentioned Code Academy, and that's been echoed by a couple other folks on the podcast. Are there others that maybe you found particularly useful that you want to call out or any techniques that you found useful?
1: Yeah. um, Communities. There are online communities. Um, There there are in-person communities. So you might find a user group for a particular automation framework. Uh, that, that you'd be interested in and you go there and you ask dumb questions and people will be helpful and answer them. You know, there's a lot, um, a lot of you, you get out of it what you put into it. So, um, you, you go into the community, you just sit around and you're, you're just, you know, just gonna absorb as much as you can and, uh, or you can be interactive with that community and, um, people will be happy to help you out.
0: So, so it sounds like, you know, people should be looking for maybe like meetups. In their location, uh, that seems to be the thing these days. You know, go to meetup. com and look for, you know, a, a meetup that's you know working with the particular automation tool that you're talking about. And one one thing I think we probably should clarify real too, real real quick too is, automation is about more than just scripts. I, I think anyway. I mean, when I when I hear the term automation, it's not just a Python script or a PowerCLI script. It could be an Ansible playbook that does something for yeah. me, yeah. Or, or a Puppet manifest, or. Um, you know a PowerShell DSC configuration, something of that nature. I mean, would you would you agree that there's a lot of different facets here?
1: No, knowing what the right tool is for the job is is probably probably the hard, the harder thing, right? So once you know what tool you need to use, then it's it's really easy to find the community, find the blog posts, find the um, the free training. Uh, you know, you you know what direction ahead, like. With the landscape the way it is, with the whole social coding thing and all these open source projects out there, it's like which one do I use? Right. Um,
0: that, so, do you do you dare venture into those waters and make a recommendation?
1: It depends. It depends.
0: Talking <laughs> like I, a true I, IT yeah, professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, you know, for for things like single, uh, if you're wanting to manage like desired state of a single particular node. Puppet does an amazing job in, at describing that, right? So I want, I want to install these certain packages. I want these files uh, manipulated a certain way. Puppet is perfect for that. Well, Once you get sort of outside of that scope, it, it gets pretty hairy. Um, so at that point, Puppet is probably not the right tool for the job. Um, you know, when, when we're uh, talking about a complex desired state for an entire, like, VMware system... Of course, I'd recommend Zombie, but it's not open source yet. yet. So, um, you know, something like, uh, you know, something that you need maybe a little more orchestration level stuff, you can use Ansible and Puppet together. There's, there's no rule that says you can't, you can't do those two things. So if you're comfortable with Puppet and the way it works for node, con- you know, individual node configuration, like, just add on a playbook on top of it to run Puppet here, run Puppet here, whatever.
0: I, I have to confess I hadn't really considered the idea of combining like a Puppet and an Ansible. Uh, you know, a Puppet for let's say node level OS configurations where it's really it's really handy. I used to use it for a while. And then looking at, at, at Ansible, which is similar but different, uh, to run through a series of tasks. That's, that's an interesting combination. I'll have to explore that a bit in the future. Um, okay, so we're, we are unfortunately almost out of time, but I just wonder any uh, any final closing thoughts that you want to share with the listeners that are gathered here or any listening the recording? Any any final advice you might say to those who are just getting started on their automation journey? Um, things to watch out for, things to be sure to do, anything of that nature?
1: Um, yeah, so if if you're new to sort of the programmatic thinking and stuff like that, I would really I really want to encourage you to look at resources like Scratch or something uh that, that allows you to visually uh sort of put some programmatical logic together. Um if if you've written, you know, bash scripts or you know stuff like that in the in the past, you know, maybe uh you know, push yourself to uh find a problem that you can use uh, a new language for, right? So so define the problem. Uh, and then pick what language you want to use, what automation framework you want to use, and just try it out.
0: Okay. All right. Good advice. So um, we're going to wrap up now because we are almost just out of time, and I want to respect the uh, schedule for the venue. But, um, Jake, this this conversation was far too short, so I I am almost assuredly going to have you back on the podcast again, just just letting you know, giving you a heads up, um, because I really do want to talk about automation, and I really do want to make sure to unpack kind of just the importance of that and I'd love to dive into deeper into some of the topics that we discussed here um, so before we before we wrap up though uh, Jake do you want to share any sort of online contact info uh, Twitter Facebook website anything so that listeners can uh, stalk you online
1: yeah <laughs> uh, so Jake Robinson uh, both on Twitter and GitHub the, that's where you can find that, me. That's so pretty
0: much where you are. That's okay, it.
1: Jake Robinson.
0: All right, so Jake Robinson. Great, awesome. Thank you, Jake. Thank you. So Scott. that uh, wraps up uh, this episode of the Full Stack Journey Podcast, and um, uh, again, you know, sort of a special episode here uh, being recorded live at the Dallas uh, VMUG UserCon, and uh, with a special uh, guest, Jake Robinson. I want to thank everyone for uh, those of you that are here in person for uh, sitting in on the podcast, and those that are listening in on the recording. Thank you for taking time to subscribe to the podcast. My name is uh, Scott Lowe. You can follow me on Twitter as at Scott underscore Lowe. Uh, you can also follow Full Stack Journey Podcast on Twitter as at FSJ Podcast. Website is FullStackJourney.com. And as always, the episode will be available via iTunes and available via the podcast RSS feed off the site. And that's it for all. Thanks for listening.